I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, welcome to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. It's Wednesday, so we've got PMQs unpacked. We don't actually know if it's the last PMQs of the year because Jacob Rees-Mogg still hasn't said when MPs are going to break for Christmas. If they'll break at all, of course, because they might have to sit uh, over Christmas and New Year in order to uh, vote on a Brexit deal. Anyway, never mind that. PMQ's Unpacked is coming up this week with Patrick Maguire because Tim Shipman is off, I don't know, doing his Christmas shopping or something. But first, uh, it's Wednesday, so our columnist panel is, of course, Camp Alice. It's John Campner and Alice Thompson. Let's talk about algorithms. If it's not exams, uh, obviously the exams uh, results in the summer are going to be marked by algorithms and they abandoned that. And the government planned uh, uh, an algorithm to decide where new houses should go. And they've abandoned that as well. Um, I think even Theresa May made this joke several weeks ago saying you'd have thought by now the government might have given up on algorithms. Um, Alice, I don't know, does this make us Luddites to say we don't want to use algorithms or, or... or is this just the reality that you can't, that politicians can't sort of um, outsource their political decision making to a computer program? So we use algorithms for just about everything in government. And people are constantly, um, you know, ministers are constantly using them. And we use them for GCSEs and A-levels for years. But you can't just rely on them. They're just, they're a helpful tool, really. And um, then they became an excuse for the government. They'd say, oh, well, the algorithm says this. Well, the algorithm says that. Actually, in the end, you want decision makers and you need the government to make a decision about various issues, um, particularly they had to about exams and they now definitely need to about building. The worst thing about this was that they would say everyone's got to follow the algorithm, but the ministers weren't following it themselves. So from Boris Johnson down, they all refused to have any more house building in their own area and just insisted that everyone else should have it. And that's what became ridiculous. And that's why so many backbench MPs rebelled, is that in the Cabinet, they didn't want to have more houses. So the backbench MPs thought, why should they also be forced to have more houses? Uh, John, does this matter, that the, the, the idea that this basically becomes just a sort of stick-to-beat technology and, uh, and algorithms with? I mean, data processing, algorithms, stuff, it's all, as Alice says, it's all really important and really good. What it doesn't or tends not to take into account, because it's impossible to do so, is human behavior. 
and behavioral economists are always looking at if you do if you think about city planning um they they always think right somebody's going to drive in this direction walk in that direction go into this shop they go into that restaurant and they don't do anything of the sort people always that human psychology seems so far and maybe artificial intelligence and machine learning will get the better of it all in the end but algorithms only get you so far they're necessary but insufficient and politics ultimately is about people's emotions as much it is as it is about people's minds and quite clearly nimbyism is alive and well in in the southeast and this is why the housing crisis continues to be a crisis isn't it because everyone says every government says we need to build more houses and then nobody can agree uh, where they should be alice i mean the problem Yes, I think that is true. But on the other hand, I think we now have a chance after this year with the pandemic to slightly look again at where we build and how we build. And I think we've seen very much that the high streets are now changing and that people are buying more online. And that is not going to change again for quite a long time. So they should look at, you know, maybe repurposing some of the office buildings and some of the shops and turning them back into housing, which is what is really needed. So actually, I think... We always say we haven't got enough housing, but this is a chance to look at it in a completely different way and to rebuild not just cities, but towns. And they always get lost in the equation. But there are so many towns that have become run down and in want of attention, and they would really benefit from new housing. So there are areas that benefit massively. What we don't want is a huge rebuilding over all the green um, site areas, just as we're thinking about trying to be more environmentally sound. Yeah, people go. I mean, people go where the opportunities go. So there is a huge amount of surplus stock in uh, northern and midlands towns. And basically the poorer and the, and the less supported and the, the fewer opportunities they provide, the less people want to live in them, particularly people moving into them from somewhere else. So there is a preponderance. There is an absolute uh, um, excess of um of focus on London in the southeast, and so it's you know, we've seen all the the modelling and all the stats about the amount of investment per head in infrastructure for London in the southeast compared to the north. So I mean, the whole levelling up agenda goes far you know beyond rhetoric, and it involves there's no point in building houses in towns if there aren't the jobs and if there isn't the infrastructure to attract them into them. And I suppose I mean, I'm just thinking of our uh, local high street, which is not you know it's not particularly massive, uh, but if shops are you know, you're right. If, if people are buying more stuff online, so you know you don't have your Argos on the high street anymore. Uh, but actually, if you can bring more people back into living in the town, then that actually, you know, the the nighttime economy, whatever you call it, pubs and restaurants and cafes and and that that sort of stuff, that actually breathes life. You know, if you've got more people coming in uh, and it's more of a social thing rather than a shopping thing, then that that sort of breathes life potentially to town centres, Alice. Yeah, so that's what you want, is you want much more of a mixed economy in towns um, and city centres, and you want the cafes, um, you want the um, theatres, and all those sort of amenities that you can then have, as well as having housing. And I think that works particularly well in towns around the country, where you could repurpose a lot of those high streets that now sprawl further and further out, um, and actually are redundant. Whereas what people want, as you've seen, is they quite like working in cafes now and they like having places to meet up. And the idea that everyone wants to live in a four-bedroom house in the countryside isn't actually true anymore. That if you look at the statistics, people, people have changed the way that they live. And they also like suburban living more again now. And what you need is a lot of green spaces for people. So if they're going to live in these towns and cities, they need more parks. And that's what you need to factor in as well. 
Well, so we were just talking about, uh, you know, how you can't uh, use an algorithm just to predict human behaviour because humans don't always behave how they're supposed to. Obviously, one of the big questions is how are humans going to behave over Christmas? Uh, and the big debate of uh, does the government relax the rules um, uh, over Christmas as they plan to for five days or do they retighten them or do you end up basically muddying the message if you do that? There was this YouGov poll out yesterday said 57% don't want the rules changed over Christmas. Uh, this is what uh, Robert Jenrick, who's the community secretary, was on Times Radio Breakfast this morning. This is what he had to say about uh, how people should think about the consequences of their own actions. We've been very clear what the guidelines are, uh, what we do want to say to members of the public is that you need to think carefully about the consequences and how this works for you and your family and come to a personal judgment about what you want to do this Christmas. So does this work, John, this slightly putting the uh, onus back, having spent all year being told exactly what to do at all times, the government now sort of reflecting on maybe there's a bit of personal responsibility that comes into this as well? Well, there always was personal responsibility into into all of this. But this fetishizing over Christmas is, is a bit bizarre. I mean, I love Christmas. I, I love the whole run up to it. I'm missing the carol services. I'm missing the Christmas. But, I'm, you know, we all miss the Christmas um, stuff. But the idea that you give people certain freedoms and then say to them, please, please, please don't use them <laughs> just seems incredibly confusing. Other countries have reluctantly have said, sorry, your Christmas is going to be real rubbish this year and there's nothing we can do about it. And if the scientists are right, that for every day of still pretty partial uh, relaxation over Christmas, we lose five days in January. So just those five days alone, if that's all it ends up by being and people not playing fast and loose, that's the whole of January written off already. That's probably February written off already. And, you know, just for, you know, four or five days kind of getting grumpy and playing board games and sort of what <laughs> with your rallies, you know, I mean, as I say, I love Christmas, but is it worth it? That, that, that is the big question. Alice, I do wonder if there's a sl- there's always been a slight disconnect between uh, the media, uh, which obviously we are part of, newspapers <laughs> in particular, uh, have been sort of itching for weeks to do the Christmas is cancelled, is Christmas cancelled, you can't possibly cancel Christmas. If you look at all the polling, it actually suggests that most people aren't planning to go wild anyway, um, even after the government announced it was going to relax the rules for household mixing over Christmas. I, th- I think still only about a third of people said that they might. So um, actually, there, maybe people will buy in, and of course there'll be pictures of too many people, at, you know, outside pubs or whatever it might be. But by and large, most people will end up doing the right thing. Well, I think the idea all along that this was a session about we have to have Christmas and we have to have three families at Christmas. And that's a huge amount of people you end up having in your house. And I thought most, particularly mothers, are going to go, oh, my God, you know, the idea of having hundreds of people through a house, it's actually quite nice having one Christmas when you don't have too many people. What I like is some of the continental uh, countries that have said really only invite people if they're lonely, single, haven't got anywhere else to go. That's a much better message is you don't want people feeling left out. You don't want people struggling. You don't want people with mental health issues being forced to isolate alone. It's just using your common sense. But Boris Johnson never did that at the beginning. He gave very strict instructions that he thought three families over a specific five days was the right thing to do. And I think that now is a huge error. What depressed me even more today was the idea that they might not have an advertising campaign to tell you what to do, because then we're going to spend vast amounts of money 
telling you not to do what Boris Johnson told you to do a few weeks ago, which just seems completely ludicrous. It does take, slightly take me back to that very first week in, in March, pre the lockdown. Um, so he announced the lockdown on the 23rd, but the week before that, he told everyone to stop going to pubs and restaurants, but the pubs and restaurants were still open. Uh, and, <laughs> and we should also worry about the economic impact. It doesn't quite, yeah, there's a lot, lot, lot of logic there. Um, uh, let's, um, we've gone full circle, really. Let's talk about, because um, uh, I, I, I began by talking about algorithms and exams. And of course, it was Gavin Williamson who made such a hash of that over the summer. Uh, you've written your column about Gavin Williamson today, that Alice. Well, Gavin Williamson made yet another mistake yesterday when he uh, insisted that all schools had to stay open for the last couple of days of term. This was specifically Greenwich and then actually Islington were also wanted to close their schools because they've got high rates of COVID in their areas. And the schools were absolutely on their knees and they had too many people who they thought in the schools, teachers and children, were infected. So basically they should have been allowed to make their own decision. Gavin Williamson decided that he would take them to court if they didn't want to open. And that seemed insane because really you have to allow the head teachers to make that kind of decision. And I think what most families are doing are, are looking at Christmas and thinking if we do end up having elderly relatives, our children should come home from school pretty soon if there is COVID in their school because they don't want them to infect the relatives. Mm. So actually it seemed quite a sane decision for schools to decide that maybe the last couple of days weren't that important. What is important is getting them all back in January, actually. Yeah, and it, it, it sort of did make me wonder what would have happened if it had been a sort of big Tory Shire council that had done this? Would Gavin Williamson have got in quite so, quite so oh, hard? Oh, well, yeah, that and he, cer- he certainly actually, wasn't. So in Kent, yeah, in Kent he didn't do anything. So actually there have been places in Essex and Kent, and Basildon is an example, um, where the schools did close when they had high rates and Gavin yeah. Williamson didn't get involved. So, yeah, I think there is a problem that he's likely to be more tough with Labour councils than he is with Tory councils. And uh, John, no mention at all from the government about the fact that Eton is already packed up as well. But, you know, that's totally fine for them to do that. <laughs> I was going to say, Matt, in, in the spirit, I know that some of your listeners think that I'm, I'm really terribly beastly and negative. <laughs> and I never have a kind word to say about this brilliantly, extraordinarily talented cabinet. That our, uh, <laughs> oh, no, you're not um, now going to come to the defence of Gary no, so I am going to hide behind Alice, who I think in her excellent column was incredibly mean about the super bright Gary Williamson. <laughs> <laughs> she quotes, um, she talks about Estelle Morris, uh, Labour um, Education Minister of uh, many, about t- 10, 15 years back under Blair's time. Uh, more than that now, um, resigning because she thought that she was second rate and 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 the mean and beastly and grinchy Alice um, talks about uh, Gavin Williamson not even knowing that he's third rate. So, um, <laughs> you know, and here he is the man who said that we got the, uh, we decided to approve the vaccine um, ahead of everybody else because we're better than all those other, all those other countries. So uh, in the spirit um, of the listeners, I say, um, you know, uh, well done, Gavin Williamson. And <laughs> I mean, I'm in for promotion next year. That was John Campano and Alice Thompson there picking over the news. And you can read both of them when they write for The Times. You just need to subscribe to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and now it's time for this. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley, and... I tell you what, let's do that again so I can can tell you who we've got. (laughs) Order. I call Matt Chorley and... Patrick Maguire! There we go! He's here. Patrick Maguire joins me in the studio for PMQ's Unpacked. Possibly the last one of the year, we don't actually know. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's see uh, what Boris Johnson says, if anything, on a Brexit deal. We might all have a terrible, terrible Christmas. Not those of us who are definitely taking the week between Christmas and New Year off. So... Um, uh, PMQ's unpacked. We paused the action live between the exchanges between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer to analyse them in real time. What do we think Keir Starmer might go on? I mean, is there's quite a lot he could... He did do Brexit last week. He did sort of vaccination rollout the week before. He might return to vaccination rollout because obviously in recent days we've the question that ministers have failed to answer is who's getting the jab and when? And he might also return to the to the Christmas window because he called for a review yesterday, uh, and given that number 10 aren't shifting on that, he might try and bounce Boris Johnson into a more concrete commitment than he's given thus far. Um, we should say hello to everyone who listens, not just on the radio, but also on the podcast, because you can always listen back to PMQ's Unpacked on the Times Radio podcast. I can't remember who was. Somebody got in touch with me over the weekend to say they were listening to it in the shower. Make of that Perver- what... Perverse. <laughs> make, of that, make of that what you will. Um, Boris Johnson, uh, we haven't seen a huge amount of him uh, recently. You know, he's not done any major press conferences and that sort of thing. Do you think he might have to come out and do something on this question of, uh, of the Christmas rules? Well, he won't want to if they have to U-turn and change because nobody wants to be the leader with the headline uh, Boris or Nicola cancels Christmas. It's been striking that Nicola Sturgeon, who would never forego an opportunity to outflank uh, Westminster um, on public health, hasn't got up and said, uh, I think this is irresponsible, mainly because this is one issue you don't want to own. 
Yeah, completely right. In fact, Alex got in touch to say his wife was mocking him for listening to PMQ's Unpacked in the Shower. It's a great listen. I make no apologies for enjoying it, he said. Uh, right, we're just awaiting. So there's only one backbench question before the main exchanges. Um, it is Michael Fabricant, the Tory MP for Litchfield, who's asking that one. We'll bring you the best of the backbenchers uh, exchanges after the 12.30 news. It just basically means you don't have to sit through um, all of the... Uh, the boring ones. It's sort of interesting, isn't it, um, Patrick McGuire, that we, we sort of end 2020 with the Tories and the Labour Party neck and neck, that that um, uh, Boris Johnson hasn't been able to hold on to those massive poll leads he had early in the year for his handling of coronavirus, but it doesn't feel like Labour's yet got its rocket boosters either. No, it's interesting. It's been something of a phony war because we're not yet um, fighting politics on usual terrain. We're still in sort of half in, half out of the of the pandemic. Uh, Keir Starmer has a consistent lead on best prime minister, but Labour's poll ratings, and crucially, it's uh, handling of the economy, what voters think of that, are lagging behind. So they they haven't, as you say, been able to, to, to burst through. And next year is crucial. That's when, when the real debate on the economy will start. OK, so we await. Boris Johnson is at the uh, dispatch box. We await to uh, get his first response to uh, Keir Starmer in what may well be the last PMQs uh, of the year, unless a Brexit deal comes so late they have to sit next week. And there might be then another one the following week when I'm not here and Ayesha Hazarika is sitting in the big chair um, uh, covering for us between uh, Christmas and New Year. Um, I suspect that Boris Johnson will want to trumpet how many people have received uh, the vaccination uh, so far in the UK. 137,897. Uh, is the number uh, which we've been given so far, um, which I think the government is calling a good start, but I think it's got a long way to go before the the millions um, need it. Uh, So let's get ready to cross to the House of Commons. Uh, Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer, uh, facing off across the dispatch box. In England, 138,000 across the whole of the UK have received uh, their first vaccination. We must remember that transmission takes place asymptomatically in so many cases. Uh, One in three people are currently asymptomatic uh, with COVID, uh, Mr Speaker. That's why uh, my honourable friend is absolutely right uh, that we should exercise extreme caution in the way we celebrate Christmas. Uh, We can celebrate it sensibly, but we have to be extremely cautious in uh, the way we behave. We don't go to the leader of the opposition, right or wrong. Here we go, then. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister and his good wishes to all the staff, to the armed forces and our emergency services? And can I thank you, Mr Speaker, and the House authorities for doing all that you've done this year to keep Parliament safe and open in challenging circumstances? Mr Speaker, since this is probably the last PMQs of the year, I want to look at some of the decisions the Prime Minister has made in the last 12 months. Let me start at the beginning of the pandemic when images from hospitals in Italy and Spain were being shown on our televisions and the infection rates were rising in the UK. Does the Prime Minister now accept that his slowness to respond led to more deaths, a longer lockdown and a deeper economic damage? Uh, Mr Speaker, no, because at every stage we followed the scientific guidance and continue to do so. And, in the, and, the, and he's right to draw attention to what's happening across the, uh, the whole of Europe. And indeed, there are spikes now taking place across the whole of the EU. And thanks to the tiering system that we have in place in uh, large parts of the country, thanks to the heroic efforts of the people of the northwest, of the northeast, Yorkshire, Humber, we're seeing those rates coming down. And yes, it's true that we have spikes 
now in, uh, in some parts of London and the South East, but we will make sure that with our adjustments to the tiering uh, that uh, we conduct over the next few weeks, that we will address those issues. That is the right way forward uh, for this country. That's how uh, we'll defeat the virus, with vaccines, uh, with community testing, and with tough tiering. And I think what people would like to hear uh, in this season of goodwill uh, to all men is a little bit of support uh, from the right honourable gentleman uh, for what the government is trying to do uh, to beat coronavirus and perhaps just a little less carping. Oh, this, this does already feel like a bit of an end. Of, they've obviously decided it's the end of the year. Um, Keir Starmer's sort of trying to give the sort of end of term review for the Prime Minister. And Boris Johnson is putting, as all teachers do in this week, well, not to impugn teachers who've had a terrible year, but putting a video on. The, the PMQ's <laughs> equivalent of putting a film on. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. And it's, it'll be interesting to see over the course of the next year as the inquiry, not the public inquiry, but the sort of political inquiry, um, into coronavirus begins, whether these attacks from Keir Starmer, i.e. I told you so, have much purchase, or whether, as uh, your focus groups say, the voters are still inclined to give the Prime Minister the benefit of the doubt. And also, to be able to do the I told you so, you need to have really hammered home the telling in the first place. And that actually the impression, largely because of what you did do, is the impression is that for most of this year, Keir Starmer is supportive of what the government's been doing. Yeah, exactly. You, you, to, to borrow from Jonathan Van Tam, you wait until the train is just about to arrive. You jump to the front of the queue, but you know everybody was going to get on that train anyway. It's not as if you had the foresight to say, don't worry, it'll be along shortly. Well, let's go back. Uh, let's see how, uh, where Keir Starmer goes next. Keir Starmer. <laughs> well, Mr Speaker, if the Prime Minister won't listen to me, can I quote his own spending watchdog, the Office of Budget Responsibility? Because they said the UK locked down later and for longer than some of its European neighbours and experienced a deeper fall and slower economic recovery. Mr Speaker, this isn't bad luck. It's not inevitable. It's a result of the Prime Minister's choices. But if the Prime Minister disagrees with me, perhaps he can tell us why does he think that Britain, the sixth richest country in the world, with all our brilliant scientists and amazing NHS, ends the year with one of the highest numbers of COVID deaths in Europe, over 64,000, each one leaving a grieving family, and the deepest recession of any major economy. Why does he think that has happened? Patrick McGraw, am I wrong to see just a whiff of the sort of Keir Starmer patriotism uh, mood coming in there? The brilliant scientists, amazing NHS, talking Britain up. Uh, and so trying to, if I think I remember speaking to a Labour strategist about this, that the a weak point for uh, Boris Johnson is saying, you know, Britain is great, but so why are we doing so badly compared to other yeah, countries? Yeah, you're not wrong. Think about how Jeremy Corbyn would have framed that. Or indeed, if Angela Rayner was stepping in, she would have said, you know, the Tories are in this for their mates, uh, you don't care, um, born to rule, yada, yada, yada. Whereas, as you say, that's almost making a positive case for... Um, why Britain is doing so badly, right? You're framing it in terms of, we love this country, it's a great country, um, and we should, we ought to be doing better rather than we are inevitably doing badly because our government is so rubbish. And also, by the end of Jeremy Corbyn's tenure, people close to Jeremy Corbyn tried to do the same thing. They were saying, actually, if you just harp on about how rubbish things are, voters aren't going to turn to you. It fuels <laughs> a sort of anti-politics mood. And so that will be what Keir Starmer is saying next year. This this country can and should be great, uh, and you are not the right custodians of it. Well, let's see how Boris Johnson responds to that. 
Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, the House will have noted his slight change of tune in his criticisms of the, of the UK uh, performance, but perhaps he could tell me uh, why it is that the UK, uh, why the UK is the, is the first uh, to produce a, a viable treatment for uh, coronavirus in the form of dexamethasone, or the first country in the world uh, to roll out a clinically tested stage 3 uh, vaccine. Mr Speaker, this is a pandemic that has affected uh, the whole of Europe, and uh, this government has continued to take uh, the tough decisions necessary to beat it. And uh, I may say so, Mr Speaker, without uh, wishing to uh, cast aspersions on the point of view of the, uh, of the honourable gen- right on- right hon- uh, gentleman, I would take his criticisms of uh, the UK government's decisions a little more seriously, frankly, if he had been able to, to decide last week uh, or even the week before whether he even supported uh, the approach we were taking or opposed it. He couldn't do either, Mr Speaker. He abstained. I mean, that's quite... Uh, I mean, you know, Boris Johnson then tries to flip the patriotism thing again, starts talking about whether Britain was the first country to develop uh, treatment, the first company, uh, country to do vaccines. We were talking earlier on to uh, some reporters across Europe, and th- even that's a bit of... That's causing a bit of friction in the rest of Europe, that Britain, you know, did get there first, and he's starting to uh, vaccinate. Um, and then he, he really needling Keir Starmer on that point of abstaining on the, on the tier restrictions. Yeah, and that's what Labour MPs worry about, because, you know, they are more or less united behind Keir Starmer, but there is a worry that that is, that, that is the... If you're, especially if you're asking the question of who's the better leader, as Keir Starmer is inviting voters to, uh, who is stronger, who is more competent, then saying, uh, well, on all these, on these key votes, uh, we, we had a reasoned abstention, and believe me, we really disagree with it, but you know, that's not, uh, that, that is not the same... The general indecision thing, the, the, the jibe we heard from Boris Johnson, Labour MPs are already very worried about because you're, you're already, you only get one opportunity to make a first impression. Yeah. Keir Thomas is doing a reasonably good job, but Labour has to stand for something. And, and if there's one thing, the thing that's come up time and time again when we've done the focus groups is that people say, you know, boys, this is a terrible thing. Nobody would want to be in this position. You know, he's done the best of a bad job, which is, you know, ultimately, if you're the Prime Minister, you don't have the luxury of abstaining and saying, oh, I don't know what I think about this. Yeah, also, you know, what, uh, what, what character trait do the British public dislike more than anybody else? Uh, it's a backseat driver. <laughs> uh, and uh, Keir Starmer is, is at risk of looking like a backseat driver. Yeah, several, several ca- cartoonists have suddenly thought, right, well, do, that's how we're going to draw it. Right, let's go back to Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I said two weeks ago at this dispatch box that I was very concerned that Tier 2 would not be strong enough to hold the virus. The Prime Minister said, don't worry about that, just support us, throw away the problems. Two weeks later, what have we got? The virus rising in Tier 2 and Tier 3, and I'll come back to that. But if the Prime Minister thinks that the highest death numbers and the deepest recession is somehow delivering for the British people, he's a long way removed from the truth. The problem is the Prime Minister makes the same mistakes over and over again. And two weeks ago, he unveiled that latest COVID plan. He told the House, as he's done so many times before, that his plan would suppress the virus. But the latest figures show the opposite, and the Prime Minister said spikes here and there. Let me tell the House, in three out of four Tier 2 areas, infections are going up. In over half of the Tier 3 areas, infections are going up. Exactly the concern I put to the Prime Minister two weeks ago when he said, just back us anyway. As a result, this morning, 10 million people moved into tougher restrictions, exactly what we said would happen going up the tiers. Does the Prime Minister not recognise that his latest plan 
has once again failed to control the virus, protect the NHS and our economy. Just to jump in there very quickly, I'm now sort of slightly confused. It, it, is, is he now saying that he wants us all to be in tougher restrictions, that we should have all been in Tier 3 to start with? It sounds that way, doesn't it? But that wasn't the argument he was making. No, because previously he was concerned about the economy and hospitality and too many places, um, you know, places were desperate, Manchester and whatever, desperate to come out of Tier 3. And I'm sure Boris Johnson will, <laughs> Boris Johnson's retort will make an argument along those lines. Well, let's, have, let's find out. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, uh, once again he criticises the government's plans without uh, producing any kind of plan uh, of his own. And actually, if you look at what is happening, if you look at what is happening, he was, except he was the mastermind author of the, I seem to remember, of the, of the Labour firebreak uh, in, in Wales, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, but if you look at what is happening across the country, it is thanks to the efforts of the, of the British people uh, that we are seeing significant reductions in uh, the virus in some of the areas where it was really surging. And that is because of the hard work of the people of this country. And uh, we will, of course, be continuing to reflect that as we go forward with the tiering approach. And we will continue uh, to roll out uh, the vaccine and roll out community testing, uh, Mr Speaker. And I may say, I think that his time would be better employed supporting uh, those wonderful initiatives, uh, supporting uh, community testing, encouraging people uh, to get a test, encouraging people uh, to get a vaccine, rather than continually attacking uh, what the NHS and what the government is trying to do. I mean, there's not a huge amount there to go on. It was just another list of things he's done. Yeah, talking the NHS down. That's about the only response. Um, uh, somebody's just uh, uh, tweeted in, actually, saying uh, people used to answer the questions at PM because I'm not sure they ever did. And it's sort of difficult to know what the question is, never mind the, the answer. Well, I'm thinking back in particular to that uh, PMQs in the early noughties where Tony Blair just gave a series of... Uh, Game show catchphrases. <laughs> if that's the if, if Tony Blair saying you're the weakest link is the golden age of parliamentary repartee that people are harkening back to, then you know, I I think they might be mistaken. Yeah, I um, interviewed David Cameron once, and he said his favourite PMQs is the one where he made a series of jokes about Ed Miliband having two kitchens, including not knowing where his next meal was coming from. So I'm not sure again that's quite the high point. Uh, let's go back to Keir Starmer. Everybody tapped the vaccine every time I've stood up and talked about it. But the Prime Minister is just avoiding the issue. In some places, Prime Minister, in the last seven days, infection rate has gone up 70%. Everybody knows this is a problem. The Prime Minister is yet again pretending it isn't. Another major mistake of the last 12 months, losing public trust. We all know what the tipping point was. The 520-mile round trip to Barnard Castle and the, the humiliating way in which the Prime Minister and his Cabinet chose to defend it. And now we learn, now we learn that while the Prime Minister and the Chancellor are telling the armed forces, police officers, care workers and firefighters that they will get a pay freeze, Dominic Cummings has been handed at least a £40,000 pay rise. How on earth does the Prime Minister justify that? Yeah, those figures came out yesterday. Mr Speaker, he totally trivialises the efforts of the British people uh, in, in, in getting the virus down. He, he says, uh, and, and he, he says that 
uh, that the, the none of the measures, none of the lockdown measures uh, have worked. It's absolutely untrue, Mr. Speaker. From, uh, from November the 5th to December the 3rd, the people of this country came together once again uh, to get the virus under control, and they may have made a huge amount of progress. We will continue with that tiering system, and uh, we will get that virus down. And that is, the, that is the best way forward for this country. All he wants to do, Mr. Speaker, is to lock the whole country down. That's, he's a one-club golfer. That's the only solution he has. And then, and then, Mr. Speaker, all he does is attack the economic consequences of lockdowns. So what we see there is an error of having a preamble about uh, coronavirus and tier restrictions before moving on to your Dominic Cummings question, because yeah. it gives the Prime Minister a chance to talk about something else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I need to lie down because that sounded dangerously like a populist attack line from Keir Starmer, which is something that he doesn't usually do. You know, if you, <laughs> if, you know, you would you would presumably say, you know, Keir Starmer's attack on the the pay rise Dominic Cummings would be we would have got the bank transfer to him much sooner because uh, we're so much more competent as administration. But yeah. I don't know, but it's 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 quite a shrewd uh, attack line from Keir Starmer, given that that was the that was the turning point. You know, he has Dominic Cummings to thank for the current polling picture. So, uh, yeah, I think if Labour can make more of that, we might see a different sort of Keir Starmer. But um, yeah, not a, not a vintage exchange. But it, it's the class. Yeah, he just gave. If you're going to try and really push someone on an issue, you have to use keep the, the six focus questions, yeah. incredibly narrowly. And you know, Barnard Castle tiresome uh, though some people might find it and whenever we mention it someone will text or tweet in and say oh you're always bringing that up time and time again it is if you look at all the polling it's definitely where there was a big change in people's attitude towards the government and its handling of coronavirus and all the focus groups we've done it's almost like a sort of drinking game it's sort of ding 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 the balnard castle class uh, klaxon has gone off um let's uh, see if uh, keir starmer can uh, I suspect I'll just have another go on the Dominic Cummings question. Those those figures for what special advisors got paid uh, only came out yesterday. I mean, we're not even sure if Dominic Cummings is still on the books, I don't think. He's supposed to be up until mid-December, I think, which is very much where we are now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be coining it on taxpayer expense for the rest of the year. But, you know... Starmer should make hay on that one while the sun shines. Very sure. nice work while you can uh, not be doing it. Anyway, let's go back and see if Keir Starmer has another go. Uh, Speaker, you could script that from October and November when he was saying a lockdown is the last thing the country needs disastrous. Two weeks later, he put it on the table and voted for it. Ridiculous. It's exactly the problem what we've got. Not learning from mistakes. And obviously we know about Dominic Cummings. It wasn't performance-related pay, Mr Speaker. But I think the... The British people will find it pretty hard to understand why it's one rule for our key workers and another for his advisers. And it's now likely that the next big mistake will be over the easing of restrictions over Christmas. And this isn't smarmy lawyers. Let me give you the British Medical Journal. The British, British Medical Journal yesterday said this. We believe the government is about to blunder into another major error that will cost many lives. The Prime Minister should listen to that advice, not just ignore it as usual. And if he really is going to press ahead with this, can he tell us what's the assessment and has it been done of the impact that it will have on infection rates and increased pressure on the NHS? What's the impact? I feel like the only strong political attack line has been slightly lost in a soup of uh, that question and then that issue. And if we could just go back to the Barnard Castle, Dominic Cummings is a live news story. I don't know if the leader of the Labour Party had called for him to give the money back or something. That would have might well have generated the story. And instead, we've lost it. And in fact, we're probably not going to hear from the Prime Minister about it at all. Because he's, he's made the mistake of including Christmas in that question. <laughs> so Boris Johnson will obviously, well, if politics allow, if the policies this question allow him to, 
dismiss him as Scrooge, uh, you know, maybe call back to Starmer's smarmy lawyer uh, reference. I, I just can't see... I mean, I've forgotten what the question was. <laughs> um, when it should have been, should Cummings give the money back? Often, the snap here... Yeah. Six questions on Barnard Castle and Dominic Cummings and his pay rise may well have, you know, inserted himself in, in the news. Uh, let's go uh, back and see um, which of the many topics <laughs> that Keir Starmer touched on is the one that's going to trigger Boris Johnson. Well, Mr Speaker, I wish he'd have the, the, the guts just to say what he really wants to do, which is to, to cancel the plans people have, have made and, and cancel, uh, cancel Christmas. That's really, that's what he, I think that's what he's driving at, Mr Speaker. Uh, he's, look, uh, he's looking a bit blank. Uh, I think that's what he's driving at. But I can tell him that as of today and just, the, just, the, just this morning, there is actually, as I say, unanimous agreement across all the uh, UK government, across all the devolved administrations, uh, including members of all parties, Mr Speaker, including uh, his own, that we should proceed uh, in principle with the existing uh, regulations, uh, Mr Speaker, because we don't want to criminalise people's long-made plans, Mr Speaker. But we do think, we do think it's absolutely vital that people should, at this very, very tricky time, exercise a high degree of personal responsibility, especially when they come into contact uh, with elderly people and avoid uh, contact with elderly people uh, wherever possible. And that is how, that is how, by being sensible and cautious, not by imposing endless lockdowns or cancelling Christmas, as he would appear to want to do. That, well, that's the only implication I can draw from what he said, Mr Speaker, unless he wants to announce some other idea. That is the way we will continue to work together to keep this virus under control, to defeat it and take the country forward. Well, before we have the last, uh, the last question, somebody's just texted and not put the name on it, actually. Not everyone cares about Dominic Cummings or what he is paid. Keir Starmer's questions are lousy. He just wants to shut everyone up at home until the threat is gone. A proper opposition will be forcing the government to stop being so blinkered and reassess their strategy. Uh, which I suppose is one one side of the coin. There's the people who don't want tougher restrictions, who wonder why someone isn't challenging the government on that. And then you've got the other side who do want uh, tougher restrictions, and they want to sort of you know following between two stools. I'm not sure uh, in what might well be the last PMQs exchanges of the year. I'm not sure we're we're getting very far, Patrick McGuire. No, and also, you know, you had the repeated references to cancelling Christmas. There, I mean, it's very hard to it's a very hard one to judge. You know, if you're trying to call a winner. Uh, of this PMQs, which um, is often a fool's errand anyway. <laughs> Obviously, Boris Johnson has, uh, you know, fairly roundly slapped Starmer down there, but, I mean, the polling shows that actually people are pretty on board with the idea of cancelling Christmas, not that you'd know it from, you know, the timid question or the, um, you know, gung-ho answer. So... Uh, I, I, you know, it's easy to lose the will to live at the end of exchanges. <laughs> Don't do that. We've still got <laughs> one final exchange. Maybe this is the one which they're both going to rise to the occasion. Uh, let's hear from Keir Starmer. Again, Mr Speaker, ignoring the medical advice. And we know, we know where that leads because we've seen what happened in the last nine months. And whatever the Prime Minister says, there's no escaping the brutal facts that Britain has one of the highest number of COVID deaths in Europe and the worst economic damage. Mr Speaker... As this is the last PMQs of the year, I, for one, often wonder where the Prime Minister gets his advice from. Well, now I know, because I've heard the official newsletter of the Wellingborough Conservative Party. Uh, It's not on everyone's Christmas reading list, but it is a fascinating read, because it gives a lot of advice to wannabe politicians. It says this, 
Say the first thing that comes into your head. <laughs> It'll probably be nonsense. You may get a bad headline, but if you make enough dubious claims fast enough, you can get away with it. And it, it includes the December edition, the advice. Sometimes it's better to give the wrong answer at the right time rather than the right answer at the wrong time. So, my final question to the Prime Boris Minister... Boris Johnson's shouting quite a lot Prime Minister at him. Is, this, is he the inspiration for the newsletter or is he the author? Uh, we should point out that Wellingborough is the uh, Conservative constituency of uh, Peter Bone MP. I mean, uh, 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 more prosaically, uh, it's good that Keir Starmer takes the Times uh, <laughs> because uh, that he's just read out Rachel Sylvester's column from yesterday. Uh, so there you go, testament to uh, the uh, the influence that the Times comment pages wields at the top of the Labour Party. Exactly right. So I believe that that is what you would call a last bit of Christmas knockabout, <laughs> a bit of Punch and Judy uh, politics. Um, let's see if this has provoked uh, Boris Johnson anyway. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, I think what the people of this country would love to hear from the right honourable gentleman this season of, uh, of goodwill is, is any kind of point of view at all on some of the key, on some of the, some of the key issues. I mean, he, this, this week he couldn't make up his mind whether it was right for kids to be in, in school or not, and, and uh, havering uh, completely. He couldn't make up his mind last week. Uh, whether or not to support uh, what the government was doing to fight COVID and told his troops heroically to, to abstain. He couldn't make up his mind about Brexit, you'll seem to remember. We don't know whether he'll vote uh, for a deal or not. Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, uh, he can't attack the government. Keir Starmer he shaking his head. He can't attack the government if he can't come up with a view of his own. If he, or, uh, Mr Speaker, in the words of the song, Oh, from all I want for Christmas is a view, Mr. Speaker, and, and, and I'd be wonderful if, he, if wonderful he could produce one. This government is getting on with delivering on the people's priorities. We're uh, 20,000 more police, uh, 50,000 more nurses, 48 new hospitals, and, and Mr. Speaker. But and although it has been very tough and very difficult, and everybody appreciates the suffering and hardship that the people of this country uh, have been going through. We are, by rolling out uh, the vaccine, by community testing and by tough tiering, which I hope he supports, we are going to defeat coronavirus, Mr Speaker, and we're going to take this country forward into a great 2021. Well, that brings us to what we think then, according to Keir Starmer, is the last PMQs of the year. They're obviously not planning to be in next week. Well, they're going to abstain anyway, so uh, <laughs> don't need to be there. Um, uh, I mean... It's not a stellar joke, but all I want for Christmas is a view. It does sum up, essentially, uh, Boris Johnson, if you remember the PMQs sort of earlier in the summer, he was it was all about you know mocking Keir Starmer for being a lawyer and uh, overlooking the fact that people seem to quite like lawyers, or certainly more than they like politicians. But this is now the line of attack from the Tory party, isn't it? The, the, he can't make up his mind, and you can't attack the government if you won't come up with a view of your own. Yeah, and Keir Starmer and his team know this, which is why in the new year they will start making an argument. But They've got to get it right, and that's really tricky, and especially on the economy. Um, they don't want to misjudge the mood of the country as uh, as the recession kicks in or, or the recovery takes off or doesn't. So they only have one chance to, you know, think of all the resets of Ed Miliband's leadership we had. Um, oh, blimey, I'd forgotten about that. There was let, a constant. Let Ed be Ed. I'm not out of central casting. One <laughs> Nation Labour. I mean, we could go on. <laughs> 
Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Listen to my Times radio show every Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Uh, you can listen on DAB Radio on your smart speaker. Get the Times Radio app. You can also listen to the Red Box podcast of the Times Radio app as well. And if you want to read about the stories that we've been talking about, then you need a Times subscription to get that. Go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.